0: Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good morning, Living Word Family Church. It's so good to be worshiping with you again this morning, and I can hardly wait till I'm actually worshiping with you. Uh, To those tuning in outside of Living Word, again, welcome. So glad to have you with us. If you've got a home church, stay hooked up, stay faithful, be a blessing to that church. If you're looking for a home church, welcome home. Can't wait to see you when the doors here are open. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer, and we'll get into the word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your protection for everything that is wrapped up in this great gift of salvation for us. Uh, my prayer right now, Lord, is that you would be very, uh, that you would be manifestly present in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. That you would open our eyes to see what you're showing us, open our ears to hear what you're speaking to us, and open our hearts to receive the word implanted, which is able able to save our souls. I thank you, Lord, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and declare in accordance with your word that I will speak clearly, accurately, boldly, and effectively as we get into your word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, I spoke last week about trust in God and his promises and how our trust in God is connected to his revealed word and his character. The quote at the center of this idea is often attributed to F.F. Um, F. F. Bosworth, who wrote, by the way, Christ the Healer, which is a book you ought to have in your library. Uh, but the quote goes that, like this, Faith begins where the will of God is known. And Bosworth, of course, was writing this book Uh, to make his case, and he makes it probably better than anybody ever has, that it is God's will to heal. Therefore, if we can know that that is God's will, we can exercise genuine faith for healing. Um, Conversely, we cannot uh, truly exercise faith if we don't know what the will of God is. I'll tell you this story. I may have shared it with you before, probably did, even though it's quite embarrassing. I was a huge comic book fan back in junior high and high school. I actually began earlier than that in grade school. I read a lot of Richie Rich comics. And then I graduated to Marvel Comics with Spider-Man number 186. I still remember it. And uh, that was in junior high probably. And I totally got into the, story. I got into the stories of the Avengers. That storyline before the Avengers were cool. Uh, I read the Iron Man comics and Captain America and Thor. I uh, had to limit my interest, you know, they were all connected, and they tried to draw you in, but I had to had to set some limits because comic books were 35 cents a piece, and I wasn't made of money, right? Anyway, all those comic books I read were great fodder for daydreaming, and I did a lot of daydreaming. And Spider-Man was my guy, and I, when I first started hearing the Word of Faith message preached, Again, junior high, high school, and then especially high school when we were as a family down at Rayma, uh, I started asking. You know, I started hearing this stuff. Hey, what? Uh, ask and you shall receive. You can have whatever you say. And I thought, why not? Why can't I have spider powers, or at least super strength, or something like that? And uh, and I thought my motives were kind of pure. It wasn't like I just wanted to beat people up and make money. I was going to stand up for the little guy. And again, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I actually asked for that. I started speaking that over myself. You know, James said, you have not because you ask not. So I thought, why not ask? But you know, James turns right around and says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss. You ask for the wrong reasons. Not only that, uh, my wishing and confessing were not based on anything in the word of God. I didn't have a promise to stand on. I just had a desire. And as we talked about last week, it's not just a matter of knowing what the word says, but it's a matter of our relationship with God, our understanding not just of his written word, but of his character. Remember, our our, our examples last week were Abraham and Sarah. They received a promise from God, and the promise was, you're going to have a child. The thing standing between them and, and true embracing of that promise was their physical age. They were both past the age of producing biological children, but they trusted in God's character and received the promise and got Isaac. So, truly praying in faith means praying in accordance with what God wants, not just with what we want. And that deserves a little bit of fleshing out because I don't want you to think that I think that what we want and what God wants are never the same thing. Uh, a great scripture to look at is Psalm 37, which says, uh, beginning in verse three, "Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart." Well, isn't that a great promise? He'll give you the desires of your heart. Well. The desire of my heart was to be as, at least as strong as Spider-Man if I lacked his other powers. But look at this. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in him. You celebrate and feast on your relationship with God. And I believe that what this scripture is speaking to us is not that God will give us everything we want, but that he will give us the right wants. He brings about those correct desires Not that he grants our every desire, but that he gives us the right desires in the first place. His goal, his promise, is not to grant you the object of your desire, but to give you his desires. Now, why is that important? Because, as mysterious as it might seem to us, God has limited himself on purpose, I'll come back to that in a little bit, to working through people in this world. And that certainly includes our prayers. He granted mankind authority over this world. And man man ceded that authority to the devil when we fell into sin. And Jesus won it back with his death and resurrection. That is a very short version of the events that lead us to where we are now. We have authority, belongs to us, but we must consciously exercise it and exercise it daily. And the most effective thing we can do, as we've said at least over the last three weeks, is to pray and speak in agreement with God's word. Now, we still have selfish tendencies, so we tend to pray for what we want God invites us to delight in him, to revel in that relationship with him. And it is in that environment, in the context of that relationship, that he changes our desires to his desires. And we pray for those. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, we read, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, I almost feel bad reading those two verses out of the context of what precedes it because what precedes it is, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ, uh, which is a whole nother sermon. But what I want you to see here, Uh, Is simply that God is working in us not only to do or to work for his good pleasure, but to will. When it says, work out your salvation, take a little bit of a rabbit trail. You know this word, many of you do. One of my favorite Greek words, if not my favorite. That word, work out, or work, is katagadsomai. And it means something on the inside being worked to the outside. In other words, what Paul is writing to the church in Philippi is not... You must work to earn your salvation. He's saying the salvation that is already in you, work it out. Let it come to the surface. Let it be what dictates your speech and behavior and ministry. In James, where it says, um, The trying of your faith produces patience or worketh patience. It's that same word, katurgatsamai. Patience is in us because the Spirit is in us, and patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit. We don't have to create patience, and trials don't create patience. What do trials do? They give the opportunity for patience, which is in us, to be worked to the out, uh, to the outside. And so this is what Paul's saying about our salvation. But then when he turns right around, and says, "Because it for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure." Again, He is. Uh, it's all about the transforming His transforming power in our lives. He doesn't just simply change our circumstances doesn't just alter our destiny, but he changes our desires. He changes our priorities so that this is what we will. And there's not a sweeter place to be than when your will is God's will because then you pray passionately for the things you want, but the things you want are the things that God wants you to want. This is all just groundwork for a simple point or two that I want to make about the power of prayer. Uh, God, you see, holds man in high regard. In Psalm 8, uh, says this beginning in verse 3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Now, some have interpreted this as a reflection, actually, on man's insignificance, a la Carl Sagan, the earth and mankind. We are just a speck of dust uh, compared to the vastness of the universe. But that's not what the psalmist is saying at all. The psalmist is starting with the presupposition that God has indeed taken a deep interest in the affairs of man. And when he ponders the vastness of the universe, his thought then is, wow, what is man? That God himself has involved himself so deeply in our affairs. Man must be something. I think that's the proper view of man. I think it's a biblical view of God's view of man. I'm going to give you two quick examples, uh, maybe three examples, but two different guys, uh, where we see the importance of praying God's will and the importance of um, right relationship with God in terms of seeing our prayers answered. Now, first up is Abraham. talked about him last week. You can go back and read about how God actually entered into a covenant, uh, a contract, if you will, with Abraham. Abraham was his guy. He was the one that God was going to bring uh, the Messiah into the world through. He was going to fulfill his promise to Abraham, and through the fulfillment of that promise, ultimately bring Jesus, the Savior, to mankind. And uh, he made, in the course of this covenant, great promises to Abraham about land and children and descendants. And in Genesis 18, we read of where three men came to visit Abraham. And generally speaking, there might not be universal agreement, but pretty wide agreement. One of these men is actually the pre-incarnate Christ, uh, sometimes referred to as the angel of the Lord. Uh, but I believe this was essentially the pre-incarnate Christ, Christ before he came to earth, but pre-existent, uh, eternally existent as, as God the Son and two angels. And they came and spoke with Abraham. They ate with him. They kind of hung out. And then they told him, A year from now, you your wife Sarah will give birth to a son. This was the big promise, and this is the moment when Sarah laughed, and they heard her laughing, and they called her on it. And they got up and got ready to leave after making this promise. And we start reading in verse, uh, what chapter did I tell you? Did I tell you already? 18, chapter 18, verse 16. It says, Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation? And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do justice and righteousness, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Then they proceeded to tell Abraham that, Look, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are utterly sinful so full of wickedness that they are crying out for judgment. Abraham enters into this amazing bargaining conversation with God. You see the three men talking. They begin to walk towards Sodom. And it's a fascinating thing that they talk about, going and seeing it with their own eyes, the cry of judgment. This wicked, wicked city was literally crying out for judgment. And God comes down to make a promise to Abraham. He's going to go look at this city from man's perspective, to to uh, witness its wickedness, and he they tell Abraham, this is where we're going. We're going to go bring judgment on this city. We're going to destroy it. And this now, Abraham is concerned because guess who lives there? His nephew Lot, and he enters into this conversation with God where he says. God, if you're going to destroy this city, are you telling me that every single person in this city is wicked? I know it's a big city. I know there's a lot of people, and I'm not going to argue that it's wicked. But what if there are 50 righteous people there? And God said, if there are 50 righteous people, I'll spare the city on behalf of those 50 righteous So many things jump out. Let me finish the conversation because then Abraham says, well, that's great. You're willing to spare the city for 50 people. Now I wonder if they only lack five, meaning what if there's only 45? Are we going to be legalistic about this? And God says, no, I'll spare it for 45. And Abraham says, well, in that case, what about 40? And God said, I'll spare it for 40. And Abraham says, be patient with me, Lord. But what if there are only 30 And God said, I'll spare it for 30. And Abraham says, don't be mad, but what if there's only 20? And God said, then I'll spare it for 20. And Abraham said, one last question. What if there's only 10? And God said, if there's only 10, I'll spare it for 10. Isn't it fascinating? God didn't invite Abraham to critique his plan. He didn't say, what do you think about this? He said, this city has judgment coming. And when Abraham began to make his case, God didn't say, wait, 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 Abraham. I know you don't have a Bible or anything yet to read, but you got to understand something about this relationship. I'm God, not you. I didn't ask for your advice. I told you what I'm going to do. Isn't it amazing that that's not how the conversation went? What's God doing? How does this make sense? How dare Abraham? And before I answer that, we're going to look at Moses in Exodus chapter 32. Now, this is when Moses is on the mountain. They have escaped Egypt. They have escaped Pharaoh's army. And they are camped out at Sinai. And Moses is up on the mountain receiving the law. And he's up there for a long time. And the people begin to get worried. Moses must have died. He's our leader uh, we have to have a God, we have to be serving somebody, and somehow they talk Aaron, Moses' brother, into f- fashioning this calf made out of their melted-down gold jewelry, and they declare this is their God. It's an embarrassing, uh, shameful moment in their history. And in uh, chapter 32 of Exodus, beginning in verse 7, we read, And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Verse 11, Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power, and a mighty hand. God, these aren't my people. These are your people. I didn't bring them out. You brought them out. Verse 12, Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven." And all this land that I've spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14, so the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Stunning. One more scripture, and we'll make some comments. Then this is very similar. This is in Numbers chapter 14. We fast forward a few months, and they are on the verge of going into the promised land. They send a spy from each tribe. Twelve spies go in, they scout out the land, and ten of the twelve spies return with an evil report, a report that discouraged the people and talked them out of going in to inherit the land that God had already brought them through so much just to give them. And the Lord said to Moses in verse 11, did I tell you what chapter? Numbers 14, verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater greater and mightier than they. Verse 13, And Moses said to the Lord then, The Egyptians will hear of it. For by your might, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them therefore he killed them in the wilderness and now I pray let the power of my Lord be great just as you have spoken saying the Lord is long suffering and abundant in mercy forgiving iniquity and transgression but he by no means clears the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation pardon the iniquity of this people I pray according to the greatness of your mercy just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until, even until now, verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. According to Moses' word. Again, what's going on here? Did Abraham talk God into something that he really didn't want to do? Did Abraham or Moses talk God out of doing something? that he really wanted to do? In Abraham's case, God did destroy Sodom. But he knew what Abraham's concern was. Get Lot out of there. And he was going to do that. He did that, even though Abraham didn't specifically ask. He was going to do that, obviously. So why didn't he just tell Abraham at the beginning, Abraham, I know what your concern is. I'm going to destroy the city, but I'll get your family out of there. What did he do? I'll spare the whole city for 50. I don't think that's what Abraham's goal was. Abraham's goal in asking was to spare the righteous. I'm not even sure Lot could be considered righteous, but that's another conversation. Uh, Moses, you know, if if you look at it in in a simplistic fashion, God is all angry, he's furious, he's getting ready to blast the people, and Moses calms him down and soothes his ruffled feathers, and God says, okay, I won't do it. That's not what's going on here. I'm perfectly convinced that God was moving on his covenant partners to pray according to his will, according to God's will. They had authority on earth. God requires us to ask in faith. So what does he do? He tells people. In this case, Abraham. He tells Moses that here's what he's going to do. And he could trust Moses. He could trust Abraham to pray according to his will. How many of you, if God took you up to his perspective and said, look at how filthy this land is, I'm going to judge this city. Pick your definition of the most sinful city in the United States or the world. And what would you do if God privileged you with the information judgment is coming? As I have a bad feeling that many of us would say, I'm right with you, God. They disgust me to blast them. And if you're that kind of person, then you're not the person God is going to tell these things to. The sin of Sodom was tremendous. They did have judgment coming. The sin of Israel was tremendous. They did have judgment coming. But God's heart was to spare them. But God is perfectly just. So what does he do? He involves his covenant partners. His covenant people ask him. And because they ask in faith and they ask in love, this gives God the, and this is a crass way of putting it, it gives him the excuse To do what he really wants to do, which is to spare. Spare the people, spare the city, spare the nation. Why did I not destroy Sodom? Because my man asked me not to. That's why I told him in the first place, so that he would ask me not to. Now, you see, God has set it up so that he needs to be invited into the situation before he can intervene. Before you protest, before you say, no, 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 that impugns the sovereignty of God, let me stress that in his sovereignty, he decided to set it up that way. This was his idea. It's not that God's hands have been tied by man's will or the devil or circumstances or anything else. God himself has sovereignly decided to set it up so that man, mankind, you and I, must invite him in to the situation, that we must speak his word into these situations and circumstances. Do you want to be used mightily in prayer? Do you want to see lives saved? Do you want to see destinies changed? Do you want to see circumstances reversed? Do you want to see your prayers answered? Of course you do. Then pray according to his will. Get to know God himself. Delight in him. Delight yourself in him and let him lay those right desires on you. My favorite scripture on prayer is 1 John chapter 5, beginning in fourteen. verse 14. It says this, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. That's a pretty bold promise. But it all comes down to knowing what God's will is. So that we can ask according to his will. And what a beautiful thing it is when he causes his will to become our will. So that we are praying our will and his will at the same time. So, know his will. Get to know His will. Get to know Him. Pray according to uh, His heart and His will and begin to see your prayers answered. The only way to get everything you want in prayer is to want what God wants. That, again, is the importance of spending time in His Word. God has made great and precious promises. I referenced at the beginning of this message. Uh, The Christ the Healer by Bosworth and what a tremendous case he makes just for the promise of healing and when we know that this is what God wants, then we don't feel selfish speaking and claiming and asking for healing. We say this is God's will, this is what I'm praying in accordance with and if I ask anything according to his will he hears me and if I know that he hears me I have whatever I ask for. That's solid and we'll begin to see these things answered but he makes these promises not to the whole world but to his children. When he declared his will and made promises, the very land of promise, he made these promises to Israel, his covenant people. And it meant others were going to be displaced. And he worked his judgment at the same time he fulfilled this promise. If I'm going to be a part of the outworking of God's plan, I want to be with the, on the covenant side. I want to be the recipient of his good graces and his will. I don't want to be one of the displaced, judged people. And guess what? We have a say in that. God doesn't randomly select people that he's going to bless, that he's going to um, invite into this relationship. Jesus Christ died for the sins of all mankind that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Every one of you, every one of us needs a Savior because every one of us is born a sinner. God invites us into a right relationship with Himself through the blood of Jesus Christ. Almost always quote this scripture, Romans ten nine, says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you want to make that decision, guess what? It means heaven versus hell. And that is the biggie. But it also means you are on the road. You are right now available. Uh, What is available to you is to know the heart of God, to hear the will of God, and to have your will transformed and your words and your prayers become powerful as you speak in agreement with the Word of God. I'm going to pray to close this message out. And I'm going to include a salvation prayer at the end of it. If you want to pray that prayer, pray it. And that transformation, that new birth, that salvation takes place the moment you believe it. And say amen. And then we can begin the journey of discipleship and uh, growth in the Spirit. But let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the tremendous examples of great men of faith that you have preserved for us in your word and may we draw inspiration and be challenged and changed as we read these. And help us not to look at them in just mere awe and say, wow, what a thing that must have been. But help us to see ourselves in those stories. Help us to see ourselves as you see us, as powerful, as, as having right standing with you and having leverage with you that you have ordained, Lord, that you have invited us into this process of saving the world and transforming the world as we pray in accordance with with your will. Help us to see and, uh, and, and properly discern your word as we take the time to study it. I pray, Lord, also that if there's anybody tuning into this who's watching, listening at any time, uh, that you would pierce their heart if they need to know you as Father. If they've never made that decision to submit their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that you would create in them right now a desire for that relationship so that they would cry out from their heart, Lord, come into my life and save me. If that's you, friend, today, pray this with me. Heaven, uh, Dear Lord God in heaven, I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of salvation. And I believe that Jesus Christ is that salvation for me. I believe the death he died was for my sin. And so I invite you, Lord, to take over my life. Be my Lord. I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord. And I believe he is well able to be my Lord because you, Lord, have raised him from the dead. Come into my life. Save me. Change me. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer and becoming my father. In Jesus' name, amen that's you. Welcome to the kingdom. Please let us know. We want to hear from you if you prayed that prayer. Hey, everybody. Pleasure being in your homes again today. Thank God for this technology and everything that we have so that we can continue to stay connected. I appreciate the notes, the texts, the emails, the the phone calls, everything. Keep it coming. God, hasten the day when we meet again. Meantime, be blessed, be victorious, and be a blessing. Love you. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.